This is Positively Farming Media. Welcome back, my gardening friends, to the Just Grow Something podcast. If you are an avid cook, you likely have used a mirepoix, that French aromatic flavor base of onions, carrots, and celery. I use it all the time in soups and stews in our house, including my husband's favorite chicken pot pie. And somewhere along the way, I decided, well, I was already growing the carrots and the onions. Why not try celery? And then I was instantly put off that venture by Every resource I read that said celery needs a long, cool growing season, but is sensitive to frost. Okay, well, my long, cool growing season can be cut very short here in the spring due to our volatile weather patterns, which wouldn't make it great for an early crop. And our frosts can set in as early as mid-October, which I thought would put me at a disadvantage for growing it as a late season crop. So I sort of just forgot about celery for a while until I thought I could come up with some sort of a system for getting the timing just right. And then at some point, I just decided I was going to give it a shot. So I sowed the celery seeds very early in my basement, transplanted those little plants out into the garden after our last frost in the spring, made sure that they were in a spot that they would get afternoon shade once our temperature started to heat up, and then I just let them do their thing. Now, the first year, I did cutting celery, which is harvested more like an herb, and that did really well. So I took the full leap into full-size celery the following year, and lo and behold, I got celery. And I really didn't do a whole lot to it during the season, so I thought maybe it was dumb luck. But nope, I managed to grow it again a second year, and I've grown it ever since. So on today's episode, I'm going to give you the lowdown on growing your own celery at home, and this includes those of you who live in warmer climates. The main considerations for celery is it really takes a long time to grow from seed, and it can be a water hog if you want those big, plump stalks. Now, some varieties need to be trenched and mounded in order to get those pale stalks like you're used to seeing at the grocery store, and they don't tolerate a heavy frost. And even though they don't like the heat, too much time spent below a certain temperature can actually cause them to bolt. It's really weird. But if you know how to mitigate all those things, the flavor of homegrown celery can be so much more intense than what you get in the store. It's my favorite thing for cooking with, but not necessarily what I would eat fresh. And that's mainly because of the hands-off way I've learned to grow it. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen, and I started gardening 18 years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard. When we moved to a five-acre homestead, I expanded that garden to half an acre, and I found such joy and purpose in feeding my family and friends. This newfound love for digging in the dirt and providing for others prompted my husband and I to grow our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm. When I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, I discovered there is so much power in food, and I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. On this podcast, we explore crop information, soil health, pests and diseases, plant nutrition, our own nutrition, and so much more in the world of food and gardening. So grab your garden journal and a cup of coffee and get ready to just grow something. All right, there's a lot to cover, so let's dig right into growing celery. And as always, we start with the basics. The scientific name for celery is Apium graviolens, often referenced as variety dulce to specifically denote the types of celery that are grown for their leafy stalks versus variety rapaceum, which refers to celeriac or celery root, which is grown for that root that looks kind of like a big turnip. 
It's in the plant family Apiaceae, which used to be known as Umbelliferae um, or the Umbellifers. Um, this is the parsley family, also sometimes called the carrot family. Those are all the plants that have those umbrella-like flowers. They look like an umbrella that's been blown inside out by the wind. So this also includes dill, coriander, cumin, fennel, parsnip, all of those. This family also includes a lot of wild cousins that we consider weeds, and that can be poisonous to ingest or even touch. Things like giant hogsweed and hemlock are in this family. They are very attractive to pollinators of all kinds, but specifically bees, which is why the family name Umbelliferae was changed to Apiaceae. Apis is Latin for bee, and that's the genus name for bees, hence the word apiary for a place where beehives are kept. And this is why there was a change in designation for this plant family, which I think is kind of ridiculous, but what do I know? Celery originated in temperate Mediterranean climates in Europe, Asia, and Africa. There is still wild celery types that grow in roadside ditches, and our cultivated plants may naturalize to a space if they're allowed to reseed themselves and escape cultivation. Celery is originally a marshland or a bog plant, but celery as a weed has become a problem in areas of California that have been growing celery as a crop since the late 1800s because they escaped cultivation. So let's talk the cultural significance and ethnobotanical uses for celery. Ethnobotany is the study of a region's plants and their practical uses through the traditional knowledge of a local culture and its people. These uses are cited as a historical and anthropological resource. Never ingest the parts of any plant without being absolutely positive of its effect upon the human body. If you have been here long enough, you can probably recite those words with me. <laughs> that being said... The whole celery plant is edible. Wild celery has both herbal and medicinal properties. The Romans and the Egyptians made garland from celery. Um, the Greeks used it as a culinary herb. The plant is also used in traditional Chinese medicine. It's been used as a diuretic to help treat kidney and gallbladder stones um, for stomach problems, as an antidote for poisoning, the treatment of colic in babies, hypertension, bronchitis, asthma for liver and spleen diseases. I could go on and on. Celery has a long history of being used for all different kinds of ailments before being used culinarily. And speaking of cooking, that celery seed that we use in our kitchen actually comes from the wild celery. And the wild celery plant itself is actually very bitter. The seeds are used because that bitterness of the whole plant gives that seed a stronger flavor than our cultivated version, which I thought was interesting. Now, nutritionally speaking, a 100-gram serving of celery contains just 16 calories, 3 grams of carbs, just shy of 1 gram of protein, almost zero fat, and contains potassium, vitamin B6, vitamin C, calcium, and a surprising amount of sodium, along with magnesium and a little bit of iron. It also has a good amount of fiber, which is what made it really popular in the 70s and 80s as a diet food. There are hardly any calories, and yet the fiber content makes you feel full, so you have a tendency to eat less. Now, in more recent years, the antioxidants and phytonutrients found in celery are partly what has spurred it to gain this sort of celebrity status as far as health benefits are concerned. You may have heard people touting the benefits of celery juice and all the wonderful miracle things it can do for you as a superfood. And I hate that word. 
Yeah, while the antioxidants are good for you and celery is known as an anti-inflammatory, it's good for digestion and it can help neutralize acids, which is very helpful if you're someone who suffers from heartburn and indigestion. I don't like any food being classified as a superfood. This artificially creates a demand on that food, which leads to increased prices, and it puts it out of reach of people who just want to cook for their family. I will say, though, that I routinely use cold-pressed celery juice as a recovery drink after my long weekend runs because of that sodium content. It naturally helps to replenish the electrolytes that I've lost through exercise without me having to drink some artificially flavored sports drink or something. But there's nothing magical about what celery can do for you. And there's a great LA Times article that I will link to in the show notes for you that talks about the history of celery as being rife with these outlandish claims. For instance, in the 1880s, Colonel M.K. Payne made millions of dollars on his celery compound, which included cocaine, and promised to cure everything from tuberculosis to hemorrhoids. Then in 1903, a Dr. Price launched a celery-flavored cereal, Triabita, and a celery-flavored gum, Triachua. <laughs> yeah, not surprisingly, neither of those went over very well. But there is still, to this day, a celery-flavored soda that you can still find in some places on the East Coast. It's Dr. Brown's Celery Soda. It was originally called Celery Tonic and served at delis in New York City beginning in 1868. And then it was bottled and sold um, that way starting in 1886. Now, of course, the FDA didn't like it being called a tonic because that would purport to say it had some sort of medicinal value. So they changed the name to Celery in the 1900s. Now, all of the Dr. Brown line of sodas were and are still kosher. So celery soda was actually very popular among New York's Jewish community. So there are a bunch of other celery tonics that were created around the same time, but Dr. Brown's is the only one that is still around. And honestly, I kind of have a morbid curiosity to want to try it. But, you know, I like celery juice, so I'd probably like a celery soda. All right, so growing celery. Celery is a cool weather vegetable. It dislikes the heat and humidity of our typical West Central Missouri summer, which is why I hesitated to grow it at first. It really prefers air temperatures between 60 and 75 degrees Fahrenheit or 15 and a half to 24 Celsius. The weird thing about celery is that it doesn't love the heat, but it also tends to bolt if the air temperatures are 55 degrees Fahrenheit or below for longer than a week or so. That's about 12.7 Celsius. And now with this, I mean continuously below 55. So if your daytime temperatures aren't getting above this at all for 10 days or more, you're going to need to cover those plants to raise the temperature up a bit if you can to prevent bolting. And there again, celery isn't very frost hardy either. So even if your days are above that 55 Fahrenheit, you want to protect them at night if it's going to drop below 32 Fahrenheit or zero Celsius. I mean, if carrots are divas, then celery is Goldilocks. Not too hot, not too cold, just right which is probably what gives it this reputation for being so difficult to grow. So let's talk about how to grow celery in ground or raised beds, and then we'll talk a little bit about containers. 
So I mentioned that wild celery, which is what our cultivated celery was bred from, grows in bogs and marshlands. It likes that moist, rich soil, preferably in the full sun. But remember, full sun means six to eight hours. So if you live in a warmer climate and you have a space that gets six hours of morning sun, but that gets shaded in the hottest part of the afternoon, this may be where you can squeeze in your celery plants. This is how I've managed to get my biggest and best heads of celery in my garden, even when my plants are coming to majority around the middle to the end of July. Now, most celery varieties have maturity dates ranging from 80 to 120 days, depending on the variety. So if you live in an area with a nice, long, cool growing season, then you might have some success with those 120-day varieties. I tend to stick with the ones that are closer to 80 days. Now, the varieties that I've grown include Conquistador, Utah Tall, Tango, Kelvin, Monterey, and a Chinese Pink. Now, the Utah Tall is an heirloom, and that's the one that I started with, but it's a 100-day variety. So it didn't get big enough for me before it just got way too hot here. And I also, that year, I don't think I planted it in the shade either. And the Conquistador, I think, is the only one on that list that isn't self-blanching. So having to mound them to make them like more tender and give them that sweeter flavor just really wasn't something I wanted to mess with. The Chinese Pink is also an heirloom, and it has very skinny stalks and is really very leafy, which is fine for cooking, and it's fun to see grow. And my best producers so far have been Tango and Monterey. Those both seem to do well with our heat here and my tendency to not irrigate unless absolutely necessary. And yes, that includes my celery, so more on that later. Um, if you'll be starting your own seed indoors, you're going to want to start them about 8 to 12 weeks prior to your last spring frost because these seeds can take as long as three weeks to germinate. I don't know how common it is to find celery plants as starts at the local garden center or nursery. I would guess this depends on where you live. You may also be able to find them from your local farmer's market in the spring during plant sales if you only need a handful of plants. But you may not have any choice other than to grow them yourself from seed, so be prepared to do this early enough. And I know for myself, I'm already behind on this this year. That's okay. I'm still going to give it a shot. Now, if you're in a very warm climate that can handle growing these through the fall and into winter, then you're going to want to start them about 10 to 12 weeks before you intend to transplant them outside with the goal of getting them to maturity before you hit the time of year when your daylight hours dip below 10 hours per day or you begin to get any frosts. But for the majority of us, this is going to be a spring into early summer plant. Now, celery seeds require light to germinate, and this is important to know so we don't sow the seeds too deeply in our trays and that we start them under lights from the get-go. You can either sow the seeds, you know, about six seeds per inch, just in open flats, or use plug trays that have very small cells. That is my preference because I can better control the number of seedlings that I'm starting, and I don't need to disturb the roots until they're pretty well on their way. Now, celery seeds are tiny, so this controls how many I'm putting down, um, but, you know, do what's easiest for you. 
I just drop them on the soil surface, press them down, and very, very lightly dust them with just a little bit more potting soil just to hold them in place while making sure that they get the light that they need to germinate. You could also just sprinkle a fine layer of perlite or vermiculite on top instead, which would help to hold the moisture near the top of the soil around the seeds while still letting the light get through. No matter which way you do this, place them under lights right away and then keep that soil moist and the temperatures around 70 to 75 Fahrenheit or 20 to 24 Celsius if possible. And then after the seedlings pop up, which is going to be in about two to three weeks, then drop the temperature down to that happy place of between 60 and 75 Fahrenheit. I do not use a seedling heat mat for germination of celery seeds. The lights above them seem to be warm enough to warm that soil up just enough to help them sprout. Cooler temperature just means it would take slightly longer to germinate, but using a heat mat can overheat them and cause them to not sprout at all. I told you, Goldilocks, right? Once your weather is past your last spring frost date and you are reasonably sure that you can cover them if you have any cold snaps, plant the seedlings out in the garden. You can do this in a couple of different ways. If you're planting in rows, put the plants six to eight inches apart in rows that are about two to three feet apart. But if you're planting in like a block in a bed or using like the square foot method, then you just want each of your seedlings to be about 12 to 15 inches apart on all sides. Now, if you're growing a variety that you will need to blanch, we sometimes refer to those as a trenching variety. And that's because you'll want to plant them in trenches. And then you're going to use the soil on either side to mound up around the plant as it grows to keep it nice and sweet and tender. Now, Honestly here, the darker the celery stalks get, the more nutrients they actually contain. But their texture changes with that color. So the darker green stalks are going to be tougher and stringier. So if you don't want to mound your celery with soil, you can also blanch it by cutting the bottoms off of either a paper bag or, you know, some cardboard or milk cartons, the ones that have the solid sides. Um, and just drop them over top of the plants, leaving the leaves exposed out the top. And then if you're using a paper bag, you can actually just like tie the bag around the base of the plants with some twine. To me, that's just a bit of a pain, especially if you're growing more than just a handful of plants. So I just opt for the self-blanching varieties and they don't need any extra work. Which means self-blanching celery can be grown in containers with no additional special requirements. Just mind your spacing within the container to give the plant room to spread. Although celery is fairly upright, you just don't want it competing with each other too much. So just be sure your container is about 6 to 10 inches deep and space the plants about a foot apart from each other. Then mulch really, really well so you don't have to constantly be watering. Celery grows and tastes best when it has had lots of moisture. And pots and containers tend to dry out much faster than in-ground beds or raised plants. So mulch as best as you can around your seedlings if you plant them in containers. 
Now, because celery is so particular about its growing temperatures, this is one plant that you want to harden off differently than others when you're getting ready to transplant them outside. Instead of reducing the temperature that they're experiencing indoors before you slowly start to move them out, you're better off just gradually reducing the amount of water that they get on a daily basis over the week or so before you move them outside. This will help them perform better when you move them out, and it's not going to shock them into bolting. So keep your indoor temperatures around the same as what they'll be outdoors and just reduce the amount of water that they get every day. Now, no matter where you're growing your celery, in ground or in containers, it likes a soil pH of about 6 to 7. So this is pretty common for most veggies. It does like that consistent moisture throughout the season. I plant in raised beds and I mulch the heck out of those beds so I don't have to water. And then I just rely on rainfall unless we're in a really severe drought. But this year, I'm going to try using one of my new green stock planters for one grouping of my celery plants early on. And I obviously am going to have to water those and I'm going to have to be consistent about it. There isn't really any room in those planters for much in the way of mulch. So this may be a challenge for me this year. So we'll see. Um, of any garden plant, I would say celery really likes having it pretty damp soil most of the time. So keep that in mind when you're planting. And also, if you have an area of your garden that doesn't drain as well as the rest, you might try celery there. Remember, they were originally wetland plants, so they don't need the soil to be as well draining as others. I will say the best celery plants that I've had, I did make sure to fertilize when I transplanted them outside and then to feed them again a couple of times during the season. Celery tends to be a bit of a heavy feeder. The roots of celery are pretty shallow, so any feeding should either be done at the surface level of the soil or as a foliar spray. So I just give it a good addition of a balanced amendment at planting time, and then I use Elmdurt's Bloom Juice as a foliar spray about six weeks after planting, and then again a few weeks later. Whatever you use as that later amendment can just be side-dressed too, preferably with something that's slightly lower in nitrogen, like a 5-10-10 would be good. But if all you have is a balanced all-purpose amendment, like a 10-10-10, that's fine too. Just feed once at planting, and then again about six weeks later, and then again probably about three weeks or so later is what I usually do. Oh, and speaking of shallow roots, heavy mulching around the plants is not just going to help with the moisture retention, it's also going to help with weeds. Any plant that has shallow roots can be susceptible to damage if you have to weed around them too much, so the mulch is going to help you with that. I'm going to take a quick break and get a glass of water, and uh, we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. 
Finding your garden tools need a little refresh this spring. Look no further than Truly Garden. With tried and true tools I use in my own garden, like their Hori Hori knife, Truly Garden has a curated selection of high-quality tools designed to withstand the beating I put my stuff through in the garden. I've got my eye on one of their newest additions, a sickle-style hand weeder. To check out all the options and get 10% off your first purchase, go to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com slash Truly. T-R-U-L-Y and use code JUSTGROW at checkout. The link is in the show notes. All right, let's talk about the pests and diseases of celery. Um, Pests first, right? Pests of celery include aphids, tarnished plant bug, cabbage loopers, white flies, and cutworms. Now, those first ones can all be kept at bay by using coverings at the time that you transplant them. So have that insect netting handy. If you've seen evidence of cutworms in your garden before, then use collars made from foil or cardboard to keep them away from the young seedlings. I will also say, if you have a bed that has a lot of potato bugs or or pill bugs or what we call roly-polies, those guys can infest the roots of celery and eat away at them. And they will also hang out in between the stalks of the plant. That was actually the biggest problem I faced. So if you have an infestation of roly-polies, be sure that you're removing any dead plant matter and keep the mulch pulled back a little bit from around the base of your celery plants. They like those damp, dark hiding places. I've also read that beer traps, like how we use for slugs, can also help with pill bugs, but I haven't tried that one yet. I have used potatoes, though. I will place a half a potato sliced side down, and the pill bugs congregate underneath the potato, and they feed on it. And then I just flip the potato up daily, tap the bugs into a bucket, and move them out of the bed put the potato back down and do it again the next day. This was really, really effective in my greenhouse, and I had to use it last year in the raised bed where I had my celery. Now, as far as celery diseases, they're not usually very prevalent in home gardens. This is much more so a problem in commercial operations. Um, Mainly, we're talking about leaf blights, celery mosaic or cucumber mosaic virus, and black heart, which is usually caused by a calcium deficiency. Now, I've not experienced any of these, but if you have any of the blights, that is early blight and late blight, um, or you have any mosaic viruses in your area, then it's something to watch and be prepared for. I will say we do have a lot of early blight here and has never affected my celery. So um, just, just know what to watch for. Now, once you get through all of this and it's time to harvest, you can start harvesting celery as soon as you see those stalks start to sort of fill out a little bit, and they're about eight inches tall or so. Usually this is around early summer and continues through the fall until that first hard frost is going to stop its growth. Celery is a biennial, and so it may overwinter in milder climates, producing the occasional stems throughout the cold months and then picking up again in the spring before finally bolting and flowering. Now, you can harvest the plants whole or just take what you need right away and leave the rest. That's what I do because cutting individual stems as needed actually keeps them producing over a longer period of time. You can technically harvest them really whenever you want. Young celery is just as good as the older, fatter celery stalks. And if you're using them for cooking and not fresh eating, it's not going to make much of a difference. And this is why I said I don't eat homegrown celery fresh. Because of my climate and the fact that I'm sometimes late getting it in the ground, which I know I will be again this year, 
and the fact that I don't irrigate on a regular basis, my celery tends to be a little bit thinner. Not that like light, fat, crunchy stock you think of, but more of a I don't know, a condensed version, which means it's really just best used for cooking. But this also means that the flavor is really strong. So if the goal for growing it is to use it in our favorite dishes, I'm getting more flavor from fewer stalks, which is fine by me. And I do occasionally grab a stalk and munch on it in the garden. So it's not that it's inedible. Um, It just would be fatter if I were watering more frequently. Now, celery can be kept in the garden for at least a month or so if you sort of build the soil up around it to maintain that nice, cool temperature. Or if, like me, you can plant it in in a spot in your garden that's going to get that afternoon shade and you mulch it really, really well. Now, celery will tolerate a light frost, but it's not going to tolerate too many consecutive frosts. So I used frost cloth to keep my celery going all the way through almost to Christmas time last year, and I was harvesting off of it the whole time. So layering frost cloth over top absolutely helps to extend that harvest window. Now, if you harvest the full heads and bring them in to be stored... Celery stores best at 32 Fahrenheit or zero Celsius and 90 to 95% relative humidity. And this is basically our crisper drawer in our fridge. Celery should keep for about two to three months like this. So leave it out in the garden for as long as you can and just harvest as needed. Once the temperatures get to be too much for it, either too hot or too cold, harvest the remainder and store them in the fridge for another few months. Easy peasy. Now, I also freeze extra celery. If I'm only going to be using it for soups and stews anyway, celery freezes just fine. I don't even bother blanching it. I just toss it into a bag in the freezer and I call it good. I mean, I'm sure there's probably a more proper way to do this, but I don't bother. The way I do it works for me. And one more thing I should note. In rare instances, contact with celery foliage can actually result in a severe rash. So if you're someone with sensitive skin who's prone to itching after contact with certain plants in the garden, may I recommend wearing long sleeves and long pants and washing any exposed skin surfaces as soon as possible after working in your celery. This is especially important on hot, sunny days, which can exacerbate the problem. So... Are you going to try to grow celery? Its little idiosyncrasies may sound intimidating, but it really isn't any harder to grow, per se, than anything else. It just needs a little bit more attention to keep it happy, right in that Goldilocks zone. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden, and we'll talk again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, go to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com where you can find all the episodes, show notes, articles, courses, newsletter sign-up, and more. I'd also love for you to head to Facebook and join our gardening community in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. There are still wild celery types that grow in roadside dishes. Dishes? They're not in dishes. Not yet. Not until we grow them. These uses are cited as a historical and anthropological, and I can't even talk tonight. Slow down and get a drink of water. If you've seen evidence of... Oh, that's what I get for drinking beer and not water. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning and keep growing.